listening to the Seven Rivers Student Ministry Podcast, a ministry of Seven Rivers Church in Citrus County, Florida. Here at SRSM, we believe that all students are lovable through a relationship with Jesus. Visit our website at sevenrivers.org backslash students. So, um, no, I want to uh, talk tonight a little bit, and we're actually going to talk, I, I get to speak for 24 hours, so the next 24 hours, I get to, not the, whole, not the whole time, but you'll hear three talks within 24 hours, so I'm excited to share with you guys. I'm going to be talking about the cross, atonement, it's something we take for granted, it's something we don't probably talk about enough or think about enough, um, and we probably don't really fully understand uh, you know, the full weight of it. Um, and we need to, um, we got to make it a habit to be constantly drawing near to the cross. So if you have your Bible, there's actually Bibles actually on the pews. You can go to Matthew 27. You're going to want to be in your Bible. If you're in your Bible, this talk is going to go so much faster for you. If you're in your Bible, if you're not, you're going to be like, this is so boring. It's so good. What's in the Bible. So, so, so good. So listen, as you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a story. A few, like a week ago, this is literally like seven, eight days ago, I was at the Orlando airport, which is horrible. Absolutely one of the worst airports of all time is the Orlando airport. I'm so stressed out. I'm trying to catch my flight. I'm anxious. I'm an anxious flyer, okay? So I get super nervous, super worried about flying, and that means I just have to go to the bathroom a lot before the flight. So I'm like, literally, I get through security. I do all the things. I'm like, okay, you know... I'm in the zone though. It's just me by myself at the airport. I'm like, let's do this. So I, I'm like, I'm going. To, I'm going to go, uh, you know, to the bathroom. And I just kind of just beeline, make the turn, see the signed restrooms. I get in there. I'm like, wow, this bathroom's like. There's a ton of stalls. I mean, like just an egregious amount of stalls that I'm not used to seeing. I just get into the first stall. No one's in there. I get in the first stall I can, and I just go to town. I start doing my thing, and I start hearing these voices. And it's not testosterone-induced voices. It's, it's very feminine. And, 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 you know, I start hearing women talking to their little kids. And I realize midstream that I am literally in the woman's bathroom. And I'm standing at the stall, like standing the wrong way. That, like, you know, you know female, you sit down. I'm standing. And so all these women are getting into the stalls are going, what's happening here? Like, they're looking at the feet. You know, and they're like, this is, something's going on here. And I start panicking. I, you know, I flush the toilet. I look through the little crack in the uh, bathroom. And no joke, right when I'm about to, I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to make a run for it. All the stalls, like, open, like a floodgate of people, women just start coming out. And they start, and let me tell you, like, they're not, you guys are not fast at the, uh, 
the washing the hands. Like there's a lot, there's a whole process I'm, I'm learning that you go through. And you're like, it's not just go wash your hands, get out. It's, there's, the, there's these things happening. So I'm peeking through, you know, the crack in the, uh, the doors and no joke, I make eye contact with this sweet lady and she like freezes mid-wash. She's like mid-wash and she freezes and's like, there's a man in the stall peeping through this crack at me. You know what I mean? Super creepy. All right, like I don't blame her. And I like throw myself back. I'm panicking. I'm like, how am I going to get out of here? I literally get my phone. I text Emily. I say, I'm right now in the stall of the women's bathroom. I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this bathroom without looking so strange. Uh, so what I decided to do is I, I opened up my bag. I brought my bag with me. I put my hoodie on, put the hoodie over. I put my North Face jacket on. I like zipped it up, up to my nose, then took my aviators out, stuck them on, on me, <laughs> took my bag, put it there, had my backpack on. I'm like, I'm just going to, everyone's out. Like everyone's watching their hands, hanging out, talking, their kids, kids are running around. I'm just going to walk out. So I just, I was the door, walk out. Don't make eye contact with anybody. But I swear the whole place was silent. As soon as I walked out of that stall, they knew it. They knew there was something going on. There was something wrong. Um, there was a guy in the restroom um, I've never been more grateful uh, for 2022, uh, just doing my thing. You know, it's 2022. Like, it's, it's, it's you know, who cares, you know, right? So it was, uh, I could see the news, you know, youth pastor caught in female bathroom, little children around, super strange. This is what, you know, this is terrible, you know, it's just going to be awful. And I was really worried. Really, I don't think anything happened. But I do think that lady who caught my attention, caught my eye, like, through the crack, definitely is telling a story of, like, there was this creeper, and he was so weird, and he was looking through the crack, and he was hiding out in the girls' bathroom. Yeah, it's messed up. All right, I just say that just to let you guys know I'm a strange um, person. Um, all right, so that's it. Let's, let's call it. We're good, right? Amen. Amen. Let's go. That's it. That's it. Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm going to start off with some questions. This is from Alistair Begg. He is a preacher. Uh, you probably don't know of him, but he does ask some good questions about the cross. And, he, and this is the questions that he's asking. We're going to be asking these over the next uh, day or two. How can God pardon sins without encouraging sin? How can he forgive without saying you know, it's okay to sin? How can God simultaneously be just and also punish but show mercy and pardoning? How can he admit men and women into heaven without spoiling heaven's glory and holiness? How can he turn enemies into friends and bind them to him with eternal love? Those are the questions I want us to be thinking about over the next 24 hours. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read Matthew 27, verses 32 through 50. This is about the crucifixion. This is the cross, the death of Jesus. And so this is God's word spoken to you. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene. Simon was his name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And then when we came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from this cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. 
Let him come down now from that cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling out to Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed to give it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is the word of God spoken to you. Most important thing said tonight. You can take a seat. All right. Why did Jesus die? Why did he die? What do, you, what do you think? Why do you think Jesus died? So I'm not going to give you the answer right away. I'm actually probably only tonight going to give you a partial answer, and tomorrow I'll give you the rest. But to answer this question, you do have to go to Genesis 3. So if you can, turn to the beginning of your book, to Genesis 3, and you're going to start in verses 1 through 3 with me. So Genesis 3, verses 1 through 3, and this is where it all begins. This is the beginning of the road to the cross. The serpent approaches Eve and says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And Eve says, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said about this one, you shall not eat of this fruit of this tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it unless you will die. So right from the beginning, God has laid out the clear consequence for disobedience. Eve even knows it so well that she's able to repeat it back to the serpent. What is the consequence for eating of that tree in the middle of the garden? Death. But what does the serpent do so quickly with her? Look at the next verse on verse four through five. Look, what he, look at his move. Look at his plan. Look at, look at his tactic. He plants doubt deep into her heart. He says to her, you won't surely die immediately contrary to what God has said. For God know that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I think it's rather ironic that the serpent tells Eve that she will be like God. Because if you know in Genesis 1, 27, God says to males and females, he says, or he says to himself, let us make God in our image, male and female, in our likeness. Eve is already bearing God's image. She's already made in his likeness, but the serpent is not. The serpent is not like God. Eve is already, but the serpent makes her insecure about that. He approaches her about that and makes her insecure about the way she bears God's image. And then he questions her memory of what God has spoken. And then he writes a story about God to her, plants a lie into her heart that maybe God doesn't want what's best for her. Maybe God doesn't want her to be happy, and maybe God doesn't love her, right? I had a friend when I was growing up. Any of you guys have really good childhood friends? Like ones that you're like, oh, yeah, we did some stuff together. It was wild. This is my buddy Travis. I mean, he owned ferrets. He owned chinchillas. I mean, we were wild people. We would go crazy. We'd catch animals outside. We would catch gobs of lizards, just hundreds of lizards. We loved catching lizards and sticking them to our ears and our noses. You guys ever done this? Like they lit and they, yeah, it's crazy. Guys are weird. And so that's what we would do. We would also make home videos that were just awful, but we laughed at them. We would write music. We'd build solar cars. Who builds solar cars? 
Anyone built a solar car? I built a solar car. Yeah, like a little remote, like it's a tiny little car. You put a solar panel on and it runs. It's cool. But I did that. That's what we would do. We would launch rockets. Our goal was one day to launch a rocket to, the, you know, to outer space. I mean, that was wishful thinking. Um, so we would just attach a bunch of C4 to these like <laughs> cylinders and send them off. I mean, they would just, we would launch them before school, like in middle school. We would show up early to like show up early school, and there would be explosions happening, you know, out in front of the school. Um, it was pretty. It was pretty crazy. Um, we would do, this is this kind of friend that we do all this stuff together. But when we got to high school, he started to, uh, grow away from the Lord grow away from God. And, it, and I, I always wondered why, and it wasn't until seminary, probably eight, nine years later that I finally got the courage to ask him, why did he, uh, walk away from God? Why does he deny the existence of God? And this is what he said to me. Uh, we were at a bar in St. Louis and this is what he said to me. We actually, I'll tell you more about that, maybe one. You guys ask me afterwards. It's a funny story but where we were at, um, but I'm not going to say that uh, right now. He said, um, when I asked him, he said it wasn't necessarily that he didn't believe in God, but it was more that a lot of horrible things had happened to him over and over again, like his mom and dad getting a divorce. Um, there was some abuse in his life and other horrors. And he was like, if God existed, why would he let those horrible things happen to me? He, you know, and then he went on to say, even if God did exist, he's like, I'm not even opposed to, you know, rejecting that. I would rather go to hell than spend eternity in heaven with a God who lets bad things happen. My buddy, his name's Travis, had bought into this lie that the serpent tells in the garden, the story about Jesus, this, I mean, the story about God from the, from the beginning of Genesis 3, that God doesn't love him. Is God really to blame for the horrible things that happen in this world? the horrible things that happen to us and by us. Is he the one at fault? Is that what we see in Genesis 3? You see, there is something terribly wrong in the story. Do you guys know what it is? There's a serpent talking. It's a joke. It's supposed to be funny. Thank you. It's, I mean, it is weird. There's a serpent talking. But what's weird is that there's a creature, something that's created, something that God has given authority to Adam and Eve to have authority over and dominion over. They were created to tend the garden, to keep it, to mediate God's will and blessing into the garden, into the creatures. And yet this creature is talking to them and telling them about God and his words. When this serpent opened its mouth and contradicted what God said, you know what Adam should have done? My seminary professor said that, you know, he said that Adam should have crushed his head right then and there because the serpent lied. The serpent sinned and was wrong. You see, it was Adam and Eve's job to keep the garden, to protect it. God entrusted them with that. That was their responsibility. But in the story, a creature is being listened to and trusted over God. You guys follow this? Creature created, trusted, and followed. Every time you and I believe something else other than God that can bring us life, you are putting your trust and faith in created things. You are just like Adam and Eve in the garden listening to a serpent, something that is created. When you put your trust in popularity, fame, success, athleticism, money, that's, that's a big one for me, money. You're like Adam and Eve listening to the serpent. It's created. You're trusting the creature for your security. You're trusting the created rather than the creator. The story continues. 
right? And do you guys know how it goes? Eve disobeys, surprise. Adam disobeys, surprise. And both of them do what? Do you know what they do? As soon as they disobey, they actually know evil. You see, the serpent wasn't you know, fully wrong. He said, you would know good and evil. What they had known up to that point was very good. God's creation was very good. But when they disobeyed, they encountered evil. And here's the strange thing about this evil. It was inside of them now. It was part of them. It infiltrated into their bodies. And as soon as they disobeyed, they were ashamed. They realized they were wrong. They realized they were naked. They realized that they were sinners. And what did they do? What's the first thing they did? They covered themselves up with leaves. And when they heard God coming to walk in the garden to be with them, they were afraid. And it says in verse eight, if you look there, that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. I often see students, even some, I I talk about this, but I do see often students when they uh, leave from high school and go off to college, I see this happen the most, but I even see it in high school too, not as frequently, but definitely when they go to college um, because some of that pressure of like following Christianity, especially if you're in a Christian school, that pressure goes away, you go to college and you can finally kind of do your thing. But what I see is they stop going to church. They stop walking with Jesus. They enter college and they fall into deeper and deeper sin. Like the sin that they engage with just increases, intensifies. They give into temptation. They buy into their lust. They party, they drink, they sleep around. They do just just egregious things. They post pictures though on Instagram and Facebook of themselves and happiness and joy, but it's, it's not real. It's fake. And they come home from college and they tell their friends and family how good they're doing when in reality they're, they're miserable and they hate themselves. And, and the only reason why I know this is because I talk to them. I, I get to meet with them and talk with them and everything that they put on social media and everything that they put on to people, it's not real, but they, they really are struggling with depression, anxiety, and they, they can't stand who they are as people. One of the biggest problems they have is they feel like they can't tell people what's going on. They're afraid of loneliness and they're afraid to say that they've started drinking and doing drugs. They're, so, they're afraid to kind of come clean and be honest about that. But what I really think that they're afraid of is that if they came clean, that if they brought it forward, they would realize that that's something what they deeply want and desire. Because just for that brief high, just for that brief buzz, just for that brief moment of giving into temptation, the pain of hating themselves go away. Maybe some of you guys have encountered that in high school too. When you give into temptation and, and you give into the disobedience, just for a brief moment, you get relief from that hatred towards yourself. But then you're left obviously hating yourself even more afterwards. They're afraid to go to church. They're afraid to talk with Jesus. They're afraid to talk to me because they're deep into sin. They don't want anyone to see them. They don't want to be judged, right? Mm. Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel, The Scarlet Letter. Have any of you guys read this book? We're reading it right now. You're reading it right now. Let's go. Holy Spirit at work. Come on. I didn't even know. I wasn't going to even talk about this, but I'm glad I just brought it up. Okay, so I'm going to ruin. Are you really reading it? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to ruin it. Okay, you don't care. Here's, here's the spark notes. You're going to be able to pass your test. 
this is a little summary. I'm summarizing extremely. So if you write this on the test, you'll probably be wrong. Um, but the, there's a pastor in the, in the story, um, in the Scarlet Letter, who sleeps with one of the congregants, Hester. Uh, she gets pregnant and bears a child, and everyone calls her what? They call her a whore for bearing this child and not being married to any man. And she is judged. Her sin is before everyone's eyes, okay? She has to wear this scarlet A on her clothes for the rest of her life, and it's the mark to her community that she is a sinner, that she is an adulterer. But you know what's fascinating? She never tells anybody, never tells them who the father is of this of this little girl that she has. She keeps it a secret because that's what the pastor wanted. And the whole time the pastor preaches on Sunday mornings, pretending to have his life together. But in the meantime, he's tormented by this reality that he's an adulterer just like her. And no one in the community knows but him and the Lord. And everyone thinks he's a saint and he's a good person, but really he's a sinner far from God and far from his grace because he deserves to be judged, but he hides his sin. And on the inside, it eats him away every second. That's not, do you guys ever felt that? The eating away of your life by your hidden sin. Why does he hide his sin? Why does Adam and Eve hide from God? Why do you hide your sin? Why are you hiding? What are you hiding? God told them not to eat from that tree. And they disobeyed. And what they earned with their life and their disobedience was death. They were afraid of that. Who wouldn't be? Who's not afraid of death? Who's not afraid of judgment? Every time you and I commit disobedience against God, we know in our conscience that we're wrong and we try to wash it over and make it like, okay, it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. Why do you think bad things happen most of the time, a lot of the times at night where no one can see why do you think bad things happen? Why do you think people do them in the dark? Why do you think when you're at your worst moments, usually it's, it's, it's in moments where you think no one is looking and no one is watching. What do you do when no one's looking and no one's watching? What do you say? How do you act? What do you text? What do you message? What do you think? What are your thoughts? What do you do in the quiet of your room? What are your secrets and what are your regrets? In Genesis 3, 9 through 10, God asks a question, and he's asking you this tonight. He says, where are you? Where are you? My child, where have you gone? What have you done? Adam replies in verse 10, I was afraid of you, God, because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam and Eve had been naked their entire lives. But until that moment of disobedience, they realized their shame. They realized they were naked. They realized that they deserved judgment. God was about to find out. And when God finds out, he's going to judge. You and I, we deserve God's wrath. You deserve his wrath. And we are completely at his mercy. In 2016, I was driving back from St. Louis. I don't know if I've told you guys this story. Maybe I have. But I was driving from Tallahassee, Florida to St. Louis after an FSU football game. It was late night, driving many hours. 
I was crossing over the bridge from Memphis to Crittenden County, Arkansas. As I was driving over that bridge, there was a cop in the right lane. I was in the left lane. Have you guys ever had this experience? You're driving and you freak out because there's a cop. You're like, crap, how fast am I going? I look down the speedometer. I'm relieved. I'm going perfectly the speed limit. The cop is going slow. This guy driving under the speed limit. What's he thinking? You know. So I'm in the left lane. I pass him going the speed limit. As soon as I pass him, he turns his lights on and pulls me over. And I'm full. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is he going to do? This is crazy. Pulls me over, says, sir, do you know why I, you know, I pulled you over? I said, I have no idea. I was looking, I know the speed limit. I was looking at the speed. He said, well, it's actually because you were going the speed limit is why I pulled you over. Because when you're in the left lane, you're supposed to speed a little bit, like a few miles per hour. It's, and it's, you don't really, they don't really give you a, 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 but you're supposed to go a little bit faster because it's the passing lane. Okay. So I get pulled over. He asks for my license. I give him my license. He comes back after checking my license, asks me to get out of the car. So I get out of the car. As soon as I get out of the car, he lifts me up in the air, puts me on the trunk of my car and cuffs me and says, you are under arrest. I'm like, man, I'm on a TV show. Justin Timberlake over there, he's pranking me. It's going to be great. It's going to be on MTV. Awesome. I'm down. And he says, do you have any idea why you are being arrested? And I said, I have no idea why I'm being arrested. And here's the issue. This is quick, fine print. If you have a Florida license, you can't have a, you can't, if you live in Missouri, you can't have Missouri insurance because the state of Florida doesn't know you have car insurance. So the state of Florida suspends your license because they think you don't have car insurance. I had car insurance, but it was in Missouri. Problem, you know, issue. So Florida suspends your license. Now in Florida, if you get pulled over with a suspended license, a few hundred, it's like a hundred dollar fine, you know, something like that. In Crandon County, Arkansas, you go to jail. <laughs> so I get taken to jail in the middle of the night. They take my clothes, they take my wedding ring, they take my shoes, they give me flip-flops and an orange jumpsuit, okay? And they say, put these on. And I'm on the phone with Emily. I'm like, ah! You know, like, listen, funny story. The guy who did my fingerprints said that my, he said, what do you do for a living? These are the softest hands I've ever felt. I said, oh gosh, this is weird. Um, and so the next morning I go to, I go to court. I've never been to court. I stand, I see it on TV all the time. Judge Judy. And I go to court and I go to my Crandon County lawyer, my complimentary Crittenden County lawyer, they give me. I say, listen, man, here's the mix up. I'm innocent. He's like, yeah, you are. But you need to go and plead no contest. Because if you obviously plead that you're not guilty, we're going to have a trial, all these things. It's going to be a long, drawn out process. You're going to be driving back and forth from Crittenden County a few times. He said, just plead no contest. I'm like, I don't want to plead. Do you guys know what no contest means? No contest means judge, you decide. Am I guilty or innocent? And I'm in your hands. And I can't say anything after. Whatever you determine, you hammer the judgment down, it's over. Whatever it is. It could be prison. It could be let go. It could be a million dollars. Whatever you say it is, it's in your hands. They could ruin your life based on their judgment. I'm like, I don't want to do that. And so I get up there. My whole case is, you know, all my dirty laundry, all the confusion, all put out on display. And I say, no contest. The judge asked me, what do you plead? No contest. In that seconds, those seconds, as she looked over those papers, I just felt I'm being judged. I was about to be judged and experience judgment. 
Judgment is scary. Adam and Eve are going to be judged. They do not want to be condemned for their sin, but they are at the mercy of God, whatever he determines and decides. And he says it's death. To disobey God is death. God's wrath poured out on you. God's wrath is what they earned with their life. And so here comes the cursing from God, the curse that is upon their life. In verse 11, God asked Adam if he has eaten of the tree that God had commanded him not to eat from. And Adam says, it's your fault, God. You gave me a woman. Just don't do that with your spouse, okay? Don't say, you know, like, don't. Yeah, just don't, don't make that move. He looks to God and says, it's your fault. You gave me Eve. I mean, she ate the fruit and then threw it at me. And I was like, okay, I'm hungry. And, and I, I sinned. And then God looks to Eve and he, she's like the serpent, the serpent. And then he looks to the serpent and he curses the serpent. And then he curses Eve and then he curses Adam for what they did. And you can read those curses through right there and there. And you can see what they are. And, and you know, the serpent is gonna be crushed by, by the offspring of Eve and Eve is going to have pain and labor and Adam is going to have pain and work and they're going to return to the dust from which they came because they trusted the creature and didn't trust God. And then the sad, I think one of the hardest and saddest parts happens, happens here. Adam and Eve are separated from God. They're driven out. And that's at the end, the last few verses of the chapter, um, and they are forever hidden now from God's presence. And so now we are left here on earth asking, God, where are you? God asked, where are you when we first sinned? And now we're here thousands and thousands of years later going, God, where are you? I don't see you. We're hidden from God. And there's this cherubim and flaming sword protecting the garden even Eden from us, from God, from us, from the tree of life. And anyone comes near death upon them. And then the following chapters of Genesis, the whole mankind falls apart. The next chapter is literally brothers killing each other. Literally just one chapter over families disintegrate wickedness and violence and sin and evil reigns. Just three chapters later, it becomes so awful that if you want to turn there, Genesis six, five through seven, this is, what God says, and I find this very moving that God would say this about what he created. He would say this about us. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God regretted that he made man of the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So God said, I'm gonna blot man out who I created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, I am sorry that I have made them. I'm sorry that I made you. What follows is the flood. What follows is this destruction of man. Why? Why? Because of sin. Do you understand the gravity of sin? And how horrible it is, how awful it is, how horrific it is. Just two months ago, do you guys know this? This was all over the news. A 34-year-old woman from, a woman from Memphis, Tennessee was randomly murdered on her jog, morning jog, for no reason. 
We live in a world where shooters in Uvalde, Texas, decided a shooter decided to walk in and kill children just sitting in their classrooms. We live in a world where pornography is a $97 billion industry, an industry that exploits and takes advantage and abuses human beings. We live in a world where women are frequently and often taken advantage of and abused, where kids are sexually abused, where teenagers are bullied, where rape happens, where we take pictures of people and blackmail each other, where kids curse at their parents and parents curse at their kids. Where has sin brought us? Where has it led high school students? Where has it led you? This is a little funny. Number one cause of death for high school students is accidents. So that's just being dumb. So the number one cause of death for teenagers and high school students is accidents. But here's the sad part. The second, like accidents are just random. You can't. The second one is, is the second leading cause of death for teenagers in the, in the United States of America is suicide. You got, teenagers are not doing well. High school students are not doing okay. You guys aren't doing okay. I'm an adult. I'm not doing okay. I can't imagine being in high school. I remember when I was uh, in seminary, I was engaged to Emily. It was my first semester. I was alone, living in a basement. I didn't know anybody. I was going to these classes with these, these teachers. They were very holy. They were, at least they appeared very holy. And it was so painful for me to be in there because I was so sinful. I'm hearing about this God who's so amazing. And I want his love. And I want to be near to him. I want to know him, but I feel like I can't know him. Because I'm such a sinner, I'm struggling with addictions, I'm struggling, um, you know, with my mental health. And I remember calling my best friend, I was on the phone with my best friend, I told him, man, I've like imagined my death, I've imagined where I'm going to do it and how I'm going to do it, and I told him what that was going to look like. He said, Mikey, I need, I'm gonna, I need to get you some help. And he's all the way in Tallahassee, Florida, he gets me professional health. And as I get that help, help and as I'm talking to my counselor, I realized that you know, my wedding day is coming. And, and a big reason for all of this was because Emily didn't know all of this about me. She didn't know everything about me. I was hiding my sin from her. It was hidden. And my anxiety was building as we were getting to this point where she was going to say, I do to me. And she was going to say, I do to somebody who's being fake. She was going to say, I'm in love with somebody who's not even, that's not the real person. So I got on the phone and I called her. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I got on the phone. I don't know what led me to do that. Because what I really wanted to do, I wanted to die instead of tell her the truth. I wanted to hide instead of tell her the truth. That's as far as as it had gotten for me. And I called her with every intention to call off our wedding. Every single intention to do that. I listed all the things that I'd done and came clean. I expected her to say, I don't love you anymore. And I said, we shouldn't get married. And she said, no, we're still going to get married. Because I believe in Jesus and what he's done in your life. I believe in what Jesus can do with sinners. I've seen it at work in you. Because of Jesus, I love you. Here's the, the worst part about sin. It's, it's stuck on you. You cannot get rid of it at all. It is ink. 
It's permanent. It is in ink. You can't erase it. It's like being diagnosed with a terminal illness. You can imagine the doctor, you're sitting in the doctor's room, you know you just got tested for this terminal illness, whether it's cancer or whatever it is. And the doctor comes in and says, well, results are bad. You have sin. It is going to kill you. And I don't know when, but it'll be soon for sure. Definitely within this time frame. But for now, this is what we can do. We can make your life comfortable. And we can try to give you some quality last days. So here's a drink. So here's pornography. So here's a high. So here's gossip. So here's slander. So here's blackmail. So here's money. Here's success. Here's a career. Here's athleticism. Here's being selfish and self-centered. You might as well just do it all for yourself because you're going to die. That's the prognosis. The gravity of sin places you under God's wrath. You are cursed. You're alienated from God and destined to die. Why did Jesus die? One of the reasons, one part of the reason is because of your sins. And tomorrow morning we'll talk about a few other ones, which is he died also to satisfy God's wrath for you. He died also to break the curse for you. And he died to bring you home so that no longer do you cry out, God, where are you? And no longer does he. Let's pray.